Hello, and welcome to Sober, Stories of Badgers Empowering Recovery. This is a podcast hosted by Wisconsin Voices for Recovery. Wisconsin Voices for Recovery is a peer-run movement that helps unite people in recovery, their families, professionals, and allies. As a diverse coalition of recovery advocates, we serve as a statewide network to link services and support those in need. My name is Cindy Brzezinski, Director of Wisconsin Voices for Recovery, and today we have the second part of a two-part series to discuss the topic of harm reduction related to substance use. Our panel today includes Philomena Quebec, Economic Development Coordinator for the Bad River Band of Lake Superior, Chippewa, as well as Lisa Whitebird, Harm Reduction Leadership and Administrative Coordinator, and Eli Corbine, Harm Reduction Coordinator. Also joining our panel today is Tahira Malik, the Founder and Chief Operations Officer of Samad's House, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Megan Morsehead, Peer Support Specialist at Tellurian and House Manager for Chandra's House of Hope in Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome, everyone, and thank you all for making the time to discuss this important topic today. I'd like to get started with some introductions um, so we can get to know you all a little bit. Tell us about yourselves. Um, This can include your professional background, recovery journey, and or current involvement or interest in harm reduction. So whoever would like to go first. Um, I'm the Harm Reduction Coordinator. Um, I'm coming up on five years of sobriety. I'm a certified peer specialist. I do a lot of the uh, all the mail orders, uh, naloxone, other 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 uh, materials that we um, provide, and I provide other services uh, throughout the community. And that's it. Glad to be here. Lisa Whiteford, administrative um, assistant for harm reduction. Um, I've been doing this for about a year. Um, we kind of built our program up from nothing. I'm also five years in recovery. And great. Thank you. We're glad you're here. Hey, guys, I'll round out the Bad River introductions. This is Philomena Quebec, and um, I, I serve as the economic development coordinator here in Bad River. I do community and economic development. And along with that, harm reduction is within my profile. Um, you know, like like Eli and Lisa said, this is this program is um, about providing harm reduction services here in our community in Bad River, but we're also growing our program to offer statewide harm reduction services through the mail order program that both Lisa and Eli really have run and taken over. Um, so on a daily basis, we're providing naloxone, another harm reduction materials um, and and a hand to people throughout the state, Um, you know, and people can access this service at nextdistro.org slash Wisconsin. Great. Thank you so much and welcome. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tahira Malik. I am 11 and a half years in my recovery journey. Um, so Mods House, we own two sober living homes here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, one for women, and we expanded to service women with children for our second home. We are also in the space of providing harm reduction services um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We service the whole county of Milwaukee. So Mods House 
works more particularly on the north side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because this is our community. We have been providing harm reduction resources to our community for the past two and a half years. We go out and canvas the blocks um, to train on Narcan and fentanyl testing strips. We provide other harm reduction resources um, to include bag lunches, hygiene items, and just resource cards for the community if you're ready to actually enter into recovery. Um, our women are also part of, some of our women are ambassadors for Samad Tals. What that means is they have lived experience. So they go out with Samad staff and we go out together to provide harm reduction um, resources to our communities. We have installed four no-lock boxes around the north side of Milwaukee, more particularly 53206, which is one of the most impoverished neighborhoods in Milwaukee County. And they also have the burden of having one of the highest non-fatal drug overdose um, rates in the city of Milwaukee. So thank you. Thank you. We're glad you're here. Hi, Megan Morsehead, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I am a peer support specialist at Tolarian for the residential and detox program. And I also uh, oversee uh, the Women's Sober Living, uh, which is also through Tolarian, called Chandra's House of Hope. I definitely have a passion for harm reduction um, as being my own living proof of how it has now gotten me into my third year of sobriety um, from opiates and other substances. So thank you. Thank you and welcome. So very glad to have all of you here today. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about community, what you've been seeing. Um, what are you seeing in your communities in terms of drug use, overdoses, and access to recovery and treatment support? Um, lots of deadly overdoses. Of these past few years, probably, I don't know, around 30 to 40 in our small community, at least 30 to 40 within the past three or four years. Um, and uh, we have numerous ODs a day, probably anywhere from, you know, five to ten. Um, not all of them are fatal. Um, and our treatments are filling up pretty fast. Bed dates are sometimes months out. And I'm sure that's this, the case where, you know, um, in the southern part of the states. Um, but people are waiting uh, to get into treatment. They, you know, they get back caught in the cycle and it's, it's hard for them, to, you know, to get in there again. So, um, yeah. Um, in Madison, there's, I, I guess I don't even know how frequent the overdoses are, but, uh, just even in the last couple of months, I know people personally who have overdosed and I am often seeing people who have, um, there's, uh, fentanyl in other substances, uh, cocaine, meth. And they don't even know about it until they um, overdose or, you know, come into treatment and see it in uh, a urinalysis. Uh, so it's it's really scary. It is scary. So what I'm hearing from different areas is that there is a prevalence of, of overdoses happening. Um, and, you know, what can we do to address that? 
And and Cindy, if I can um, jump in for a moment. In our community here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, again, I'm going to state more particularly the north side of Milwaukee, which is one of the BIPOC communities. We were initially seeing from 2021 to 2022, we saw a record number of drug overdose deaths, um, more particularly with African-American adults within our community. So Samad's House joined the Community Collective. And what the Community Collective is, is that we it consists of a number of social service agencies with the Milwaukee Overdose Response Initiative. And we go out weekly on Mondays to do outreach pop-up events, if you will. So what we have at those events, again, are Narcan training, fentanyl testing strips, hygiene kits, um, food, resources, and um, hats, gloves, blankets if you're unhoused. So at these events that we've been doing now, um, going on two years, we have serviced every about every neighborhood within Milwaukee County because it's a switch off from the north side of Milwaukee, which is predominantly African-American, to the south side um, of Milwaukee, which is predominant, predominantly Latinx. So we're making sure that we're encompassing all neighborhoods that are really targeted um, on the Milwaukee County overdose dashboard. So we are very intentional in the neighborhoods that we actually pop up in to make sure that there isn't a disproportionate number of resources um, within the communities. We started off in 2021 to 2022, there was a 5% decrease. We've noticed um, looking at the statistics for overdose deaths. So it, that kind of showed that we were making some headway, but I'm very proud to say that from 2022 to 2023, we are now down to a 2%, um, we have a 2% decrease um, in the overdose deaths. I consistently and intentionally watch Milwaukee County's overdose dashboard. And whereas the neighborhood that Samad's house is housed in and does a lot of canvassing outside of just a pop-up event, the 53206. We were in 2022, we were the we were ranked the third in Milwaukee County of the highest rate of overdose deaths. And we are now at number six. So even though we even though it's not zero. It shows the progress that is being made by us providing and being on the forefront of providing these services. That's great. It sounds like you're doing a lot of great outreach. And to see those results is amazing. To see that decrease is great. How about others? Um, how is your organization engaging with the community to reduce overdoses? Or what are you seeing there? There, so... I really want to Lisa because she is in the community a lot and she's oftentimes called upon when there's an overdose happening to respond and, and administer naloxone, especially when people aren't waking up right away. Um, but what we've been doing in Bad River for almost 10 years now is community-based overdose response providing people with naloxone, providing with them with education on how to respond to an overdose situation, how to administer naloxone. And it's, I mean, it really is making a difference. 
the um the there's an overdose fatality panel that works in Ashland County, Wisconsin, and um, I think what what the the report that I was reviewing today showed that there were 11 overdoses within Ashland County um, in in the past year, and um, we're recording over 30 overdose events a month within the community. Um, and so there's there's quite a lot of response that's happening. Naloxone is being used quite a bit. Um, you know, one of the sort of disturbing trends is a lot of the overdoses that have occurred are with stimulants. And when you have an overdose with stimulants, naloxone is not going to work because it's it's only an antidote for opioids themselves. And so um, I think we have a lot of work that we need to do to um, learn about how overdose and stimulants can be avoided and responded to in an effective way. Um, but, you know, this, our, our program has, has been able to grow and expand. And, um, you know, we're, we're distributing over 10,000 doses of naloxone within our community and then within state, statewide. Um, we see a lot of overdose reversals. And in the, the really exciting part is that the work that Lisa and Eli and others are doing related to peer support is to get folks engaged. And, um, and so it's not just counteracting overdoses when they're occurring, but moving upstream to help people get the resources that they need for stability and, um, and figure out what are the, what are the things that are causing them to engage in chaotic drug use that puts them at risk for overdose and and really working with them to figure out the resources that they need and the support that they need and um, and connect them with those resources. Eli is doing some great work right now to uh, meet with folks who are in the Ashland County Jail and figure out how they can um, you know, how they can get started on planning for their re-entry while they're still in jail, where they're going to live, what kind of treatment support they're going to need, um, you know, family and, and other kinds of things, making sure they have clothes and food and all the essentials that they need when they're going to be coming out. So, um, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes it's like the the overdose crisis seems impossible that people keep dying and there's nothing we can do. But what we've seen in Bad River is that there's a lot that we can do. And um, and a lot of it is, is promoting stability for folks, getting people connected, making sure that they understand that we love them and that we're gonna support them. And, um, you know, and these things, these things are making a positive difference here. That's great. It sounds like you're doing a lot to engage your community. Let's talk a little bit about why is it important to engage with the community to reduce overdoses? Uh, kind of on the last question, um, too. Um, so we have sobriety feasts here each month that our, our AODA program does, but we're also involved. Um, and I think um, uh, it's important to engage with the community, to give some awareness to the community members that are ha having a hard time dealing with uh, 
dealing with the loss and you know just what's happening it's it's you know it's been hit it's hit our community our small community very much just like it's hit everybody else's but i think it's just good to have, give them an idea of what's going on and what what uh what we're trying to do to lower the numbers that's great i think that um the main thing is each time someone has another chance at life they then have the opportunity to help someone else have another chance at it um yeah so just you know um thinking about trying to keep people alive and i like to address it as well cindy it's important to engage with the with the community, because you have to have the community to have that buy-in in order to be able to save a life. The, when we live in addiction, we are tearing down our whole community because there's so many different elements of living in addiction. So in order to be able to combat the addiction and the overdose, you have to have the involvement of the whole community. That seems really important. Um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, because it's it's something that we need to do together, right? So um, those that are helping the community, those that are in the community, bridging bridging those gaps, creating those connections and partnerships and building that trust. And for those listeners that may not be as familiar, um, could you describe what harm reduction is and how it's different from other ways of interacting with people who use drugs? Um, I had a... Well, I have my own thoughts about it, but I think uh, we get to connect with people who use drugs um, in a different light and build a relationship so when they're ready to take a step to recovery, we're there. Um, it's, allow it's allowed me personally to be able to uh, get outside the box. Of I used to work in a clinic as a peer specialist, and there was a lot of rules and whatnot. I'm not saying there's no rules here, but it was I got a little more freedoms to to really connect and, um, you know, instead of just driving somebody to their their appointments and whatnot, which is important too, but, you know, I got to, you know, help them a little more with other types of services, um, you know, food, you know, bus passes, transportation, um, you know, peer support, um, you know, hooking them up with treatment and stuff like that. So I, I found it for me, it, it got me, it got me, uh, I feel like it's using me a lot more that, than I than utilized. Does anyone have anything to add? I think that um, a lot of the harm reduction is just really meeting people where they're at. Um, for myself, I wasn't completely ready to maybe give up every part of my use or my my lifestyle until I was. You know, and then so for me to have a place to go to where I am not going to be judged when I am ready um, and maybe not, you know, feeling overwhelmed, like you just have to be completely sober uh, because that just seems like a lot. Uh, I think that that's a big part of harm reduction, but also um you know, having the fentanyl test strips and the Narcan, clean needles. Um, this way, when I did get sober, there was less um, things that I had to worry about, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, that does make sense, uh, especially meeting people where they're at. Um, you know, sometimes people aren't ready for one thing or another thing. And it's it's really important to kind of to honor. It's really important to honor that person um, where they're at in their recovery journey, whatever, wherever that may be. Um, so I think that's a really important um, thing to note. All right. So why do you think harm reduction works? It's Lisa. I think harm reduction works personally. Um, I'm a living story of it, um, living proof. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, harm reduction saves lives. Um, again, I, I think it ties that question kind of ties into the last one. Um, it just allows for people to, to meet somewhere else, you know, um, and just be a, an, another form of, uh, service to them. Um, because for me, I always look at it, this is a new problem. Um, and this, um, problem has to have different, different types of, uh, try to fight it from different type of angles and you know so i think it, allow, uh, it allows for that um, like you said uh people are still using they're still you know but doesn't mean they're um they don't want to be sober you know and a lot of people um forget that um so i think yeah for me it allows me to just keep that connection going you know it's good to have you know that uh that uh, if you life life rafter if you want to say something like that you know um it allows me to, you know, just be there for them whenever they're ready. And that's powerful, too, um, to be there for them, right, as opposed to not being there for them. And I think, you know, that's one of the, the key components of, of harm reduction, that support and, you know, being there for people. So I'm going to ask, why do your organizations support or take harm reduction approaches? <laughs> So my house, Cindy, takes harm reduction approaches because we we have become tired of losing so many of our loved ones to drug deaths. And the only way to be able to combat that is to be on to be on the ground running, to be on the ground spreading awareness and education, to be on the ground spreading um, the information and the resources. So that's why we do take a harm reduction approach. We want people to know that even though they're living in addiction, they don't have to die from that addiction. That says it right there. Definitely. Yeah. I'd like, I'd really like to, I, I love what Tahira just said. And I, I agree. So my trajectory into harm reduction came from a, you know, a, a kind of a weird place I trained as a lawyer and I was working for the tribe's child welfare program. And what I saw was so many times over and over and over again, the court system was simply just operating as a, as a processing system where it was processing these families who came in who had issues and problems and chaotic substance abuse. And there was really no assistance that was provided to these families, very little understanding about what was driving them to engage in, in drug use that 
was, you know, potentially putting their children at risk. And we were all just going through the motions until the point where the children would be taken out of the care of their parents on a permanent basis. And I think that's the way that a lot of drug use among um, Black, Indigenous, people of color is handled by the system. And um, and for me, it, it became a moral crisis because I just couldn't participate in such a system. Um, and, you know, harm reduction is a very different approach to drug use. It accepts it as a reality that there's a lot of reasons that people use drugs. There's a lot of diversity among the way people handle drugs and that people who use drugs need support and community and connection, just like every other human being. And, um, and so, you know, harm reduction is a, is a very, it's, it's a really, it's a different way of approaching drug use. We, um, you know, I think, I think we, instead of trying to judge people who use drugs, the focus is on providing them with realistic ways that they can take control of things and reduce their risk, you know, and because we don't want to have, we don't want to have really high rates of HIV within our community. We have high rates of hepatitis and we want to address that. Um, we don't want to see our people dying alone. Um, there's there's a lot of ways that they can take actions to start engaging in recovery, even when they're still using, right? And and those kind of things are um, are are really positive. They're consistent with our culture. Um, I think I think we we have to as a country. And um, and as Indigenous Black people of color start challenging these, you know, these models, these colonial models that don't work for our people, and demanding that resources are spent on providing for our people's needs where they're at right now. And so that's you know that's really what what we've we've been focusing in on is, is um, trying to, trying to challenge these models that have been given to us and um, fighting back against that and giving, giving our folks some space. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me if this understanding is correct. So really harm reduction is focusing on supporting health, well-being, and wellness within the context of addiction because addiction is a reality. Is that is that a good understanding to to sum it up or am I missing something? I love how she put um accept it as a reality. I even wrote it down because sometimes it's hard for me to, you know, to answer that question to other people that ask me. Yeah, I think that's a great, great answer. So I wanna veer into an, another question here. So some people say that harm reduction is enabling. So we're we're talking about harm reduction as as support, supporting the person where they're at. Um, but some people say that it's enabling. How would you respond to that? 
So the premise of harm reduction is is to actually meet individuals where where they are in their addiction. It's not enabling the addiction. What it is is trying to make sure that that they are safe in their addiction. You know, we are consistently losing people. And the reality is that if you're not ready to come into recovery, you're going to continue to be at an active addiction. So if you're going to continue in active addiction, why wouldn't we provide the education and the resources so that you be, so that you are able to maintain your life? We're trying to enable people to live. I think that's a great answer. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that. That's awesome. Yeah, for me, I always get, you know, getting, you know, have friends that don't understand, you know, family members that don't understand what we do. Um, like I said, it's a small community and, you know, our community was hit hard with um, this opioid epidemic and, you know, uh, just drugs in, in general. And um, I just, like I said before, I try to uh, fight this new problem that we've never seen before with any way we can. Um, and I feel like this is a, one of the ways that um, allows us to do that. And what will it take to eliminate that stigma that harm reduction is enabling? Because it's not. It's not enabling. I just said patience and, you know, unity, you know, coming together. That's what, uh, you know, that's what, I, that's what comes to mind when I read that question. I also feel like um, sharing our stories and, you know, putting a face kind of to harm reduction um letting people know that we're we're real um and we can recover and there's hope also treating the person that uses drugs like a person um with no judgment so more education to our community and sharing our stories to our community and I'll piggyback. We have to be able to normalize the conversation surrounding addiction. Once we are able to have those uncomfortable conversations, then, you know, we reduce the stigma of it all. Yeah, I agree just with what everyone is saying, that it's, it's really about talking about it and saying, like, hey, I wouldn't be able to be here and be helpful if it wasn't for, you know, uh, fentanyl test strips, Narcan, um, all of the things. And then people can start understanding that it's, it's not enabling, it's, you know, just helping people survive. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about Narcan, um, also called naloxone, um, as a harm reduction and safety method. Why is access to naloxone so important? Um, you can't sober someone up if they're dead. I think that's pretty obvious. So, um, you know, giving the people the tools to, to you know, maintain life. Um, you know, I do the mail orders in in northern Wisconsin up here, and uh, I try to reach out to everybody, you know, I mean, they they reach out to me, and I've been, I send naloxone all over, um, hundreds and hundreds uh, uh, a month, um, 
you know, I think that's important. And I'm also today I'm actually bringing some to the jail um, because the, the inmates requested like they would like to get released with maybe some, you know, um, and the um, jail administrator, I thought might have been a little bit uh, hesitant, but she wasn't and she was all for it. And so, yeah, sure. Um, so that, that was cool. But yeah, that's how that's how I feel about it is you can't sober somebody up if uh, if they're dead. Yeah, absolutely. And the the more accessible it is, the more available naloxone is, the more lives that are saved. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I think about how um, accessible drugs are. Um, the naloxone should be just as accessible. Um, and, you know, even the like the vending machines or mailing it out, you know, sometimes my, my drug use wasn't during business hours that I could go somewhere and, and get it or go to a pharmacy or whatever. Um, but, you know, at 3am, like, where can I get this, you know, Narcan for um, this fentanyl that I'm going to do no matter what, you know? And so we have some of you here today whose life was saved as a result of being administered naloxone. Um, can you say a little bit about uh, how that impacted your life and recovery journey? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today, enjoying the awesome day, being able to help, and um, you know, just keep on giving, you know, what was given to me. It was um, you know, a, a crazy time. You know, I woke up in a hotel with. Uh, multiple uh, naloxone um, needles in my arms and um, I kind of woke up there by myself I felt like uh, I think I was after I went to treatment a couple of weeks later I kind of realized I think they just left me there but um, you know I'm just better I, I'm still grateful though and it's uh, you know I'm I'm uh, just glad to be here to be able to help um, you know I know a lot of people have you know that story too which is awesome and I'm just grateful for it. So I just uh, would like to keep on giving that, giving that opportunity to others, you know, so we can uh, maybe one day they can help pass that on. Absolutely. Glad you're hearing that, you know, you're doing this great work. And if it weren't for naloxone, you wouldn't be able to do this, this great work. Um, and so that that's a really important, you know, thing for people to be aware of that you know, you're saving lives, um, allowing people to continue helping others. This is Lisa. I like to share my story a little bit. Um, so I was an active um, opiate user for 20 years um, and I abruptly got cut off of it and signed myself into treatment and was about to go to treatment and I was really having withdrawals and a hard time so I tried heroin for the first time and thank god I had Narcan in my home um I I had it there because my dad was an active IV user um and thank god someone came home when they did and they knew exactly what to do with it and they saved my life um, I then went to treatment and I worked in this field for the last five years in some sort of recovery. Um, but now I'm in harm reduction and it feels amazing to give back and share the hope and um, 
try to change people's judgment on harm reduction, you know? Absolutely. I just want to agree with what was said. Yeah, again, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for um, the the Narcan. Um, so that's why it's just so important. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, people that have um, survived an overdose have that additional lived experience that they can use to help connect with others who are in, in the throes of addiction, um, who, who want to stay safe, who might want to get into, you know, different levels of recovery at whatever point. And I think, you know, that's, that's a really important thing to note is that that, that lived experience can help with that, that connection as well. I feel like it's also important to bring up, um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, if you do Narcan someone, they, might not be super grateful um, at first because being Narcaned is really uncomfortable. Um, of course, I was grateful to be alive eventually, but, you know, it sends you into instant withdrawal and is, yeah, yeah, can make you sick. Um, so just so that people understand that. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, even though it can be an unpleasant experience for those that might be, you know, administering Narcan to know that you're giving that person a second chance or a third chance um, or whatever chance at life um, to still be here, to still live. I want to talk a little bit about um, communities of color. Um, in Wisconsin. So as communities of color in Wisconsin, can you talk about the impacts of the criminal legal system in accelerating overdoses? For me personally, you know, I've been to jail multiple times. Um, I've been to prison. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm just recently, I'm just, I just started a, a jail group um, within our community here at Ashland County Jail. Um, and from what I've seen, um, there's just there's here. There's just there's not a reentry program. It doesn't seem like um, you know, they have nowhere to go after. They have no idea, you know, and uh, it's just they just keep put keep keep getting and then and, and when they get released, they keep on. They're in the same cycle, um, you know, go to the same old friends and keep doing the same things, and then you know, obviously they something happens and um. Whether they, you know, go back to using, you know, or, you know, just don't have a job. They, you know, sell drugs and, um, you know, eventually get back into jail. And it's the same same cycle over and over. Um, I feel like wellness court, that's what we call drug court up here, um, has has had a good effect, positive effect on many people's lives when I, I completed it. Um but yeah, I think um Phoebe said something earlier, but it's just it was just like a processing um, center, you know, just like people just getting processed, um, on a daily basis for some of them petty crimes or, you know, and, and whatnot. So it's, uh, it's definitely a, a, a difficult, um, situation, but that's, I, I'm trying to work on a re-entry program, um, hopefully soon here, maybe that can, I can talk to some people to help with that because those are the, our high overdose numbers as the, uh, um, young men, coming out and not having anywhere to go or any resources. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can 
you know, help them and help them get on their feet and we won't have that problem. It sounds like the reentry programs are pretty important um, with respect to um, overdose prevention um, and support and, and helping to break that cycle. I mean, I would say so. Yeah, definitely. You know, help me, you know, and, well, and I think a lot of it, there's programs here that are willing to help, you know, it just, they had no idea I had to go out and do it. You got to put in the work too, but yeah. So just, just, um, just providing them with, with some things like that. Uh, give them, give them an idea of what's going on and where they can go. You know, I think, I feel like that's important. Anyone else? And one of the things that I can, that I can, I can address pretty specifically is the need for the continuation of healthcare services for people who become incarcerated. Like I talked about before, the you know the criminal legal system, including the child welfare system, is really destabilizing for families. When I was when I was working in the child welfare program, I would often see this cascade of consequences that happened when a parent was discovered to be using drugs. And, you know, it, it happened over and over again. It was a pattern where the um the parent who's often low income, always actually low income, uh, is discovered to be using drugs. Something happens, maybe there's an OWI or a someone uh, tells on them maybe there's an overdose that occurs and immediately the the child welfare comes system swoops in kids are removed without kids the their housing is at risk and they lose public housing oftentimes if they had a job they lose a job and that means that they're really unable to get housing again and without housing they can't get their kids back and without their kids back their hearts are broken and they're they're really unable to move forward and it seems like they just kind of spin out at that point and the you know the jail system is is so often i mean oftentimes people are picked up for status crimes like you know they they're on bail for some sort of drug use offense or or drug possession offense and if they um, if they fail to meet a court date in Wisconsin, they get hacked on um, like a bail jumping charge, which is another felony offense, which means that uh, they're they're probably going back to jail and they're going to stay there without the opportunity to post bail, lose their opportunity to maintain housing, take care of their children, have a job have that stability in their life, lose their transportation. And in rural areas, when you don't have your own personal vehicle, this this makes it impossible to really do anything else. And, um, you know, additionally, what happens in jail is oftentimes people are refused access to the medication that they need. And if they're on methadone or buprenorphine for their opioid use disorder, this means that they're they're in a very dangerous place because when they come out, their their tolerance is reduced, and they're they're oftentimes likely to to use some kind of opioid that they obtain on the street, um, you know, to 
because they have opioid use disorder and and this puts them at risk for overdose. And what we've seen in many circumstances here in Bad River is people have been stable and they go to jail and their stability is is pulled out from under them and they're at risk for overdose and we've lost people because of that. We have lost beautiful souls in our community. We've lost parents, brothers and sisters because of those set of circumstances. What we've done is we've we really fought to make sure that buprenorphine access is um, is available within Ashland County Jail, and that's true. We have that right now, and that's really creating a much more much more stability for our people who are in that facility. But the problem is is that our our jail is not housing women at this point. If you're if you're a Bad River woman, you get picked up. You have to go to another jail, and these other jails are not providing buprenorphine access. They are violating federal law, and and this is creating instability. And um, what we're seeing playing out is that Native women are at the highest risk of overdose fatality within Ashland County, and um, you know, and this violation of their rights is contributing to destabilization. And um, and and is really creating a, a very dangerous environment for folks who are within the jail system. Well, destabilization is causing sounds like multiple barriers and damage, causing damage to people um, to their recovery journey. Is that an accurate description? Absolutely. And and this isn't just damage to them personally, but this is damage to their children, to their whole family unit. And it's, you know, it's really this cascade that um, creates rifts in our community. Mm-hmm. What changes um, would you like to see related to harm reduction in Wisconsin in larger cities and rural areas in between? What changes would you like to see? I'm really curious what Tahira has to say, um, and and Megan as well. But some of the changes that are very much needed is um, is a equalization of methadone access. So methadone is a medication that is very effective for the treatment of opioid use disorder, and in the age of fentanyl, when we see people using really high amounts of opioids. Buprenorphine may not be as effective as methadone. Um, currently, we don't have access to methadone in Bad River because there is no um, OTP available in um, north of Wausau. Wausau is three hours away from us. And oftentimes with methadone programs, people have to go to the OTP on a daily level or at least once a week. Um, and so we we do not have access to one of the most life-saving medications available in the United States. So I think really addressing this regulatory issue and the and frankly the economic issue that that makes it impossible for OTPs to operate, um, making methadone access available outside of OTPs within regular doctor's offices would be huge to reduce the extraordinarily high rates 
of Native American overdose. Um, another another issue is is jail access to medication for opioid use disorder, and making sure that all jails are required to provide people with the medication that they've been prescribed. And if and if somebody enters into a jail facility presenting with opioid use disorder, they should have access to medication for opioid use disorder. I mean, if we had those two things, we would be saving so many lives. Thank you for that. Um, for us, I would agree with you. Um, because we're on the north side of Milwaukee and my population is predominantly African-American, a lot of, we don't have a lot of medically assisted treatment clinics on the north side, which we are. We do have a couple that are opening within the next year, I believe. We have one opening on 76th and Capitol. And then I know Vin Baker, they opened up their center on 76th and Hampton. But with that being said, historically, we did not have much access. And so our community relied heavily on the non-emergency medical transportation system, which sometimes did not um, show up to take them to their clinic. And yes, they have to be dosed. Majority of the individuals do have to be dosed every day. Um, I will say that we do need more um, Suboxone clinics on our side. And I say Suboxone, I know I heard um, what your discrepancy was, but I have Suboxone saved someone very close in my family from after they had um, an opioid overdose. And we put them on the medically assisted treatment um, with a um, with a doctor who deals specifically with that. Suboxone really saved their life and allowed them to have a full life after living um, in addiction. So we need more Suboxone clinics on our side of town as well as the methadone clinics, just because I know firsthand how Suboxone has saved so many of my loved ones' lives after um, a non-fatal drug overdose. And I just, I just want to jump in real quick and, and say I'm not, I'm throwing no shade at Suboxone. It's a wonderful medication. It, it's, um, it's just not as effective for some people, and we need to have a full range of resources and treatment options available for folks. Um, and I'm and I'm also really, really glad to hear that your loved one um, is doing well. Thank you. And, and you know what, you're right when you say we need a full range because sobriety takes on many forms and one path that may work for someone may not work for the other. So I totally agree with you. But just being able to provide more resources to the disproportionate communities. We have to have equitable health care for everyone. Yeah, I think um, it sounds, and I just agree, just the accessibility of things. Um, I, I grew up in Southwestern Wisconsin and there wasn't, and there still isn't any sort of access to harm reduction or, you know, treatment of outpatient uh, medications. 
Um, and yeah, it's just, and when someone is in that like window of opportunity to be like, I'm ready to do something different. And then there's just nowhere to go. Or, you know, you're told that, you know, you have to do X, Y, Z first before you can even start this medication, you know, it's insurance and, um, labs and all of these things that are just not really a priority when you're using substances and it's a big barrier when people are ready. Um, but then also just the accessibility in general, um, having like everyone was saying here, just options on, you know, the pros and cons of each, each type of uh, method and um, what that looks like for people versus just having no options at all. Thank you all. It sounds like a lot of work needs to be done. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we're all here talking about it, raising awareness about the important work that needs to be done. Um, any other thoughts on how we can make harm reduction more accessible? I mean, one of the things that we've wanted to, we've really seen the need to provide harm reduction access to the the deep rural areas within Wisconsin. We we serve, we, we go down far as far as Price County with folks who are able to drive there. But what we've seen in Price County is there's just so few options for people and and especially if we have, have people who are injecting drugs this sets them up for a you know HIV and and other things that could be um contracted within the community and then shared within the community and and that's that's kind of I mean those are, those are some things that we really want to avoid um so the the mail order program that Eli and Lisa are leading is so critical at providing at least some access for folks who live in these remote areas and don't have a brick and mortar harm reduction program that they can turn to. Um, and so, you know, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna just shamelessly plug the website. It's nextdistro.org/wisconsin. And this program offers naloxone availability, and then we also do full-service harm reduction supplies through the mail. It's very discreet. People aren't going to know what you're getting if you if you put in an order. Um, you're just going to get a brown paper bag or um, like a, a brown like padded envelope if you order naloxone. Or just a, a box that's that's super nondescript. Your your mail person isn't going to know or anything. And um, so providing you know providing harm reduction services in a way that is discreet, um, in a way that's accessible and is easy is something that um, I, I think we really need to focus in on. Yeah, thank you for providing that information. Are there any other resources out there to where people could go if they're looking for access to harm reduction methods that anyone else would like to share? Um, in Madison, there is um, 
event and uh, the uh, Dane County Public Health that uh, provide um, the naloxone, clean needles, cookers, cottons, um, tourniquets, all of fentanyl test strips, all of those types of things. Um, and actually where I work at uh, Tolarian Detox, I'm excited that just a couple weeks ago, there um, is a uh, Narcan and fentanyl test strip any machine outside the building. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's great. So I'm going to wrap up here and, and thank you all so much for your time um, and this important conversation. Um, how can people reach you if they have questions or would like to find out more? So, Vinny, we have a website. It's um, badriverharmreduction.org. And anybody can go on that website and learn more about the history of of our program, how we how we came to be. And we also have a book that we published on our website. And that's freely available. People can read it, print it off, distribute it, whatever. But it it really talks about how to build a community-based harm reduction program and through through our example, like through through the <laughs> through all the hard stuff that we had to go through in order to get this program up and running. Um, there's there's also information on the mail order program at the Next Distro site, that's nextdistro.org. Next Distro is our steadfast partner in the mail order work, they're amazing. And um, you can also, if, if somebody wants to reach us immediately, we have a text and call line it's 715-802-8232. And if, if somebody reaches out to that number, we'll do our best to respond to you as soon as we can. Cindy, um, 211 Wisconsin has an addiction recovery site that's pretty, um, pretty well populated. Uh, I think they were just updating it in November. And there's a lot of resources available for addiction recovery, including harm reduction resources. So this is this is where people can find MOUD programs and harm reduction programs throughout the state and other other resources that might be really helpful for them that are geographically based. So I just I just wanted to make sure that people were aware of that two on one site. Yeah, thank you. That is a great site. Thank you for mentioning that. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone again. It was a pleasure talking with you all today. And thank you to our listeners. And I hope everyone has a nice day.